Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hanson ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Before we start, just a quick note. Among the surprises in this episode are a few profanities and discussions about sex. Joanna's 1819 was a strip club about a 15-minute walk from the White House. In the late 1980s and 90s, it was a place where a certain set of professional men in Washington took their lunch hour. A narrow entryway corridor opened to a small stage. Music blared from the DJ booth. The clientele ate broiled fish and watched women take their clothes off under dim red lights. Priscilla Sue Gailey was a dancer there. My, my dancing? Yeah. That's part of my soul. Mm-hmm. I, just, I had to take off my clothes to make the money, but dancing is a part of my soul. Priscilla was in her early 30s. She was petite, with blue eyes and dark hair. The other dancers at the club called her Liquid Rhythm. To regulars, she was known as Hot Legs. She had danced at clubs in Ohio and Massachusetts under different names. Tracy Starr, here in Columbus. I was a Monique, I was a Monica. DC, I was Priscilla. And no one ever knew my real name until then. (laughs) I never had power in my life until I started dancing. Yeah, I was abused. I was, oh my God, stifled. Uh, No, that is the first time in my whole life I was allowed to be anybody I wanted to be. (laughs) For 20 minutes at a time, I could be anybody I wanted to be. And dancing at Joanna's, becoming whoever she wanted to be that day, that hour, that song, was how Priscilla came to be the unlikely companion of Robert Hansen. God, he's so nice to me. It was a magical year. He made my whole year just like, what? When he met Priscilla in 1990, Hansen had been married for 22 years. He had six kids who he was trying to put through private school and college. He was an FBI special agent who was climbing the bureaucratic ladder. He went to church on Sundays, even sometimes visiting Opus Dei during the week in the afternoons. But there were other afternoons where he was at Joanna's. We've gone in depth on the damage wrought by Hansen's espionage, the assets who were jailed, 
tortured or killed. The billions Hansen cost taxpayers in compromised spying programs. But Hansen committed other betrayals. These were more personal, intimate. Psychologically, they were like knife wounds, inflicted on people Hansen professed to admire, care for, and love. From CBS News, I'm Major Garrett, and this is Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. Episode 3, Priscilla. Priscilla Sue Gailey wasn't easy for us to find. Sarah Cook, a producer on this podcast, spent months looking for her. She got a response by email at first. Then Priscilla went dark for months. Nothing. Sarah eventually found her in Columbus, Ohio, with the help of Facebook and Priscilla's adult son. Hi. (laughs) Hi, this is Major Garrett. Good morning. Priscilla went to a studio in Ohio. We connected with her over a phone line. Hi, Mr. Garrett. Um, Good morning to you also. (laughs) Oh, you don't need to call me Mr. Garrett. Major's just fine. I'm very pleased to meet you, and I thank you very much for coming in. I really, really thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. She was eager to talk about Hanson and their first meeting in 1990. He came into my life like a whirlwind, but the very first time I met him, he sent, like, I think it was a $10 bill back to the dressing room. I'd already went back after my set, and the compliment he gave me right off from the beginning, I had to go find out who this man was, period, because it was the most beautiful thing anybody ever said to me or about me, and I just was not going to let it go. (laughs) She had just performed a set wearing an all-white chiffon number with bell sleeves and a blue-and-white feather boa. Do you remember what that compliment was? Oh, yeah, i never forget it. She says something to the effect of, I've never seen such grace and beauty in a strip club. I just, something to that effect. He really made me feel special. And believe me, you don't get special like that every day. Priscilla did something she had never done before. She ran out of the dressing room to find him. I always had these little chiffon things that you throw over your top and bottom like a baby. So, yeah. But I ran to the front of that. I barely, he was the tallest person in there. So it wasn't hard to see him going out the front door. (laughs) I ran up there and caught him. Hanson was in his trademark dark suit. When Priscilla caught him, he gave her his FBI business card, the bureau insignia in raised print. I didn't even know they had cards, but I'm glad he told me he was an FBI agent. I'm like, okay, buddy. I put that away. Yeah, I'd never intended to call that number. That would have been the end of that. Of course, it wasn't the end of that. A few weeks later, Hanson was back at the club. And this time, they got to talking. I said, you're a lot more down to earth than I expected uh, FBI people to be. I said, I was not going to call you, though, because I'm kind of afraid of the FBI. He goes, why? He said, you have nothing on your record. I go, what do you mean? He said, I've checked you out. You you don't even have a criminal record. I said, you checked me out. Yeah, that freaked me out. But it just sort of like, oh, my God, here we go. It's the FBI. Hanson had a ready-made story for his visits to the strip club. He was trying to catch a KGB guy or talk to an informant. He said two or three people... Got killed, and that's why he had he had an informant. It would he would always say he was doing one of those two things when he came to the club. 
I have no way of knowing whether that was true or not, but that was his reason for being in the club. Half the people in there had had stories, so you never really knew if it was all true. But his sounded real. I mean, it really did. Think of the circularity. Hanson goes to a strip club with the cover story that he's mole hunting, an operation that would have been highly classified. All the while, he knows he is a mole. Hanson tells Priscilla about the Russians helping the U.S. who were tortured and killed. Of course, one of the reasons they were tortured and killed was because Hanson gave them up. Quite the cover story, one that put Hanson and his ego center stage. Anyway, by the second time they met, Hanson hadn't just run a criminal background check on Priscilla. He had run to the jewelry store, too, returning to the club with a sapphire and diamond necklace. I said, I can't accept this. I mean, it, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It was absolutely gorgeous. But then I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> he wants something. And then he said, it's beautiful. You should have it. And he took it out of the box and put it on me. And I was like, but, 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 but I took it. I, I, I did. I could not help myself. It was so beautiful. And, and, this, and this happened in the club? In the club. Mm-hmm. Right out there in the open? Right out there in the open. I said, do you make this kind of money? He said, oh, no, I got a very large inheritance. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then in that case, and I didn't want to be taking food out of his kids' mouths. or right. I, I don't know what I thought. Wow. It just seemed like an awfully lot. It was unbelievable. That's what I'm saying. He was so nice to me. Of course, Hansen didn't have a large inheritance. He came from a middle-class background. But the Soviets had provided Hansen with tens of thousands of dollars for every batch of secrets. By now, he had made an estimated $450,000. That would be about a million dollars today. And he made a lot of that right before meeting Priscilla. Hansen was paid in cash and diamonds, and there's only so much of that you can keep in your sock drawer. Some went to his kids' private school tuition, some to a home renovation. Any deposit over $10,000 would be flagged by the bank. He needed somewhere to put the extra cash. There was no reason for Priscilla to question his story, because Priscilla was focused on the other question. What did Hansen want in return? In spite of Priscilla's expectations, she says Hansen didn't seem interested in her physically. At first, when he was coming in, my mother described my real father once. He was a tall, handsome man. He didn't want any kind of hugging, sexual thing, anything from me. And he was so generous. And I thought in my fantasy-ridden mind that that might be my long-lost father, not wanting to tell me who he was. That fantasy didn't last long. They were only about 15 years apart in age. The more she learned about him, Priscilla concluded pretty quickly Hansen was not her biological father, just a generous patron and maybe a friend. Regardless of what their relationship meant, Priscilla really liked him. She was fascinating. I, I really will say the word fascinating to me. I couldn't wait to see him again. He intrigued me. He was so intelligent, quiet, and he always smiled, too. So that really made me at ease. Hansen went out of his way to care for Priscilla. For instance, when he learned that she'd never gotten a driver's license, he loaned her his BMW so she could take the test. 
she passed. And while Hansen was known around the office as gruff, superior, and sour, when he was with Priscilla Sue Gailey, he acted so differently. He took her to museums. They talked over lunch. They went on long walks. He would bring up topics of things that I knew nothing about. And I pride myself in being able to comprehend and keep up with anyone's conversation, especially in D.C. at that point. He actually thought I went to college. I'd never been to college, but he didn't know that, and that made me feel really good. On stage, Priscilla liked to tell a story. Her act involved costumes and different personas. Sometimes she wore glasses and carried a briefcase, like an office worker. I I always told him I'm a chameleon. I can blend into it. I can be anybody I want to be for 20 minutes at a time. (laughs) But that was on stage. I didn't mean it for everything, but I guess he wanted to put it to the test. I didn't fail. Hanson took Priscilla to a popular FBI bar. But first, he decided she needed an outfit change. I always used to wear beautiful high heels, and I'm talking like six-inch heels. And he said, oh, no, you have to put something on more conservative. And I was like, what do you mean? So he bought me the ugliest pair of blue pumps. Ugh, they were horrid. But I wore them. But I didn't know he tossed my other high heels. He left them in the store. I didn't have them. But I had to wear those ugly things around. And I had to look the part. No high heels allowed, I guess. Priscilla had passed an initial test. But she was about to get another. Halfway around the world. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. By spring of 1991, Hansen was working in an FBI inspection unit. He traveled to bureau field offices as an auditor, making sure things were on the up and up. The position frequently took him overseas. When he told me he was getting ready to make a trip to China, I said, oh, really? I said, I love their art. I love just, you know, I went on and on and on. I said, if you're going, could you do me a favor and just bring me anything? He goes, can you take a break? And I'm like. Yeah, if I want to. I said, why? He said, can you take a walk down the street with me? I said, I'll be right back, sure. She got dressed, and they walked a couple of doors down to a travel agency. Hanson told her he needed to pick up his ticket for the trip. Priscilla waited outside, smoking a cigarette. When Hanson emerged, he handed her an envelope. It contained her own ticket for a flight to Hong Kong. I said, I was like stuttering like a ticket? I can go? And he said, well, not with me. He said, but if you like to go and, and find your place in the world, you can go. And I'm paying for it. 
Hansen made it clear they would fly separately and stay in their own hotel rooms. I was like, oh, my God. I went to hug him. No, 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 that's not necessary. He backed off, like, wouldn't let me hug him or anything. But I was so excited. I was, like, thrilled, like, really? For real? I mean, I was so, I don't know. I was overwhelmed. I was so excited and happy. And, hell, no, I'm not turning it back in for money. I'm going. A gift with great potential for disaster. Think about the risks to Hansen for a second, bringing a dancer on a work trip abroad, a trip taken under the auspices of the FBI. It is hard to comprehend. Hansen even pulled strings to get Priscilla a temporary passport. They stayed at a beautifully appointed high-rise hotel with a rooftop bar, a grand staircase that flowed from the mezzanine to the lobby. Stunning flower arrangements adorned the property. During the day in Hong Kong, Priscilla and Hansen went their separate ways. She shopped, swam in the hotel pool, drank, played tourist. He worked. But they'd eat together every morning and have dinner every night. Halfway around the world with a beautiful woman. It was a James Bond-like fantasy. Hansen took care of every detail. I felt like a total princess. I'd never been treated so well in my entire life. Breakfast was at the hotel buffet. Dinner was at a different spot around town each night. They would take luxury cars to the restaurants. I swear I had six different kinds of Chinese food. I loved them all. Um, I wanted the place settings. (laughs) They would have everything made out of onyx or everything made out of jade or everything with gold tips or everything a turquoise or everything just... uh, He said, what would you like? I said, the place settings. You know, like, it was so beautiful. After dinner, Priscilla would usually hit the clubs without Hanson. Except one day before dinner when she wandered into a bar because it happened to have her favorite drink, Canadian Club Whiskey. So I called him. I said, I'm down here. And I told him, where is that? I said, I'm going to be a little late because I finally found my, you know, my Canadian Club. And he's like, you're where? He said, you don't know where you're He said, you're in the red light district. I go, what's that? He said, I'll be right down to get you. (laughs) Hanson raced to the red light district to pick her up. When he came in, you know, the music's good. Everything's good. I'm having a wonderful time. And the people were nice to me. Nobody was being weird or anything. He said, you're in the red light district. We really got to go. I said, well, okay. Um, Let me finish my drink. I said, oh, and can we do, you want to dance just one song? He's like, no. I said, oh, please, come on. You can dance. So I kind of pulled him out on the dance floor and started, you know, and the poor guy, I, I seen why he didn't want to dance. Well, he looked like Lurch. You remember Lurch? You know, Lurch from the Adams Family. I'll teach you to dance. You? Grandma taught me. She's a great dancer. Uh. Lift Lurch's arms up one at a time. And, and you know how, oh, poor guy. Because I believe anybody can dance. but He just could not loosen up. But anyway. That didn't last long. (laughs) About half the song and we're leaving. As Priscilla's benefactor, Hansen had certain expectations for her. He wanted some control in exchange for his generosity. For instance, Priscilla had brought a crocheted bikini, too revealing for Hansen's puritanical tastes. He made her pick out a one-piece, which he paid for. Now you'd think he came to the club to see me. Why would that upset him? I guess because I was out public? I don't know. I have no idea. But I didn't argue. I put it on and went to the pool. No problem. 
Another day, he arranged for Priscilla to tour a Russian submarine docked in Hong Kong's harbor. Hansen wanted Priscilla to go inside the submarine, really scope it out. Would you rather go shopping or go aboard a Russian submarine? (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to go shopping. Thank you. Yeah, and he seemed highly upset, like, you didn't go? No, I I, uh, was was shopping and just blew it off like it wasn't anything, but he was upset. He didn't want to go. Why would I want to go without him? I mean, it's something that if he wanted me to go, he should have took me personally. That's the way I felt. We don't know why Hansen wanted Priscilla to tour the Soviet submarine without him there. In hindsight, Priscilla wonders what Hansen's intentions were. Was she being groomed to be an accomplice or a sacrificial lamb? What did Hansen want from her? After two weeks in Hong Kong, they had dinner one final time. I told him every night for dinner, I would come down. They had this long, winding staircase. I told him every night when I come to dinner, I hope I look better than than I did the night before. Now, I kept this up for two weeks, so you know that on the last night of the last dinner date, I felt like a movie star. She was wearing a sapphire blue dress with a small slit, not too high, she says, with matching shoes, all adorned with rhinestones. On this last night, Priscilla wanted to test for herself if this really was a platonic relationship. It was my last chance. I think I got a little more tipsy, and I'd had a lot of time to think about everything this man had done for me. And the trip's over, and we're going to be going back to the... So, you know, where everybody knows us, and he had not made a move on me. And I thought, there's got to, maybe he, maybe he just needs a little push. So, <laughs> I did the pushing, yeah. I, I liked him a lot, but I knew he was happily married, and I wasn't going to mess that up. But I thought, maybe he brought me all the way over here because he could not make that move any closer to home. I made the move, he didn't. Believe me, he stopped me. Uh, you know, it didn't, you know. It didn't finish anything, but at least I found out what I needed to find out. That was it. That might have ended most relationships, but not this one. Priscilla and Hansen went home to their separate lives, Priscilla with a few more suitcases than she came with. Back in D.C., he continued visiting her at the club. They were still friends. Hansen proselytized about Opus Dei to anyone who would listen, but his approach to Priscilla was more gradual. Less blunt. When I told him I walked by this church every day, this beautiful church from the subway on the way to work, and it was just, it made it was so beautiful. And that's when he started. <laughs> he said, "You know, you should go in. You should, you know, you should come to my church." It's strange, but he did not do it in, a, in an offensive way. He did it in a like an offering, offering a different path. And I was afraid, if you know what I mean, that I couldn't do that. Because he had took off my clothes for a living, so I was thinking I couldn't mix the two or something, and he convinced me otherwise. With Hanson's encouragement, Priscilla showed up at his family's Northern Virginia church. I didn't go in, but I went to, to go in. I just chickened out because <laughs> his wife and kids were there, and I was feeling awkward, if that meant anything. Hansen and Priscilla were close. They'd been seeing each other for about a year. Hansen had been giving her money regularly. Then one day, Hansen took Priscilla to lunch at a Mexican restaurant. We went to lunch, and he gave me money, and I was like, oh, whoop, whoop. 
by then. You know, I didn't know what he had for me, but I knew he was probably going to give me some money. But Hansen had something else up his sleeve, or rather in the tortilla chips. He had hidden car keys there. He said, well, those are going to be yours. I said, I got a car? You got me a car? And I got all excited. Oh, my God. Did I ever get excited? I didn't know what it was. I didn't even care. It was just the fact that he had, like a father would do, you know, bought me a car. And so I couldn't wait to get done eating. I'm ready to go right now. I'm not hungry anymore. I want to go. Oh, my goodness. My baby Ben's. It was champagne silver with red leather interior and a sundress, and I loved it. On her way home, Priscilla went on a joyride, 50 miles out of her way. I was floating. I, I was floating on air. I sat it outside my apartment for two weeks, and I'd look out the window because I just knew they were going to come take it away. I just knew something. It, just, it can't be mine. It's not real. They're going to come tow it away. It's not mine. But it sat there for two weeks, and it was mine. And finally, when I was convinced that it was okay, I started driving it. The car also came with an American Express card to be used only for car-related expenses. Around this time, Hansen took Priscilla somewhere civilians can't usually go, the FBI training facility in Quantico, Virginia. He gave her a badge so that she could access the site. They went on what Priscilla called a grand tour of the campus. Then he left her alone to wander. He told her if anyone asked, she was working on the allegedly top-secret Eisenhower project. Hansen didn't tell Priscilla what it was or if it was even real. They made a bet on it, 100 bucks. If I could blend in, I would win the money. Well, there was no problem when he came down to get me. I was eating ice cream with a whole table full of people they didn't know. Back in the Washington area, Hansen also took Priscilla on walks in the woods. That's what she thought they were. In reality, they were circling Hansen's dead drop sites, those places where he passed secrets to the Soviets. I even seen one of those tape things and didn't even know what it was on the bridge. And it's just, the whole thing added up. I'm sorry, say that again, Priscilla, say that again. You saw what? You know the little tape marks on the bridges and wherever, I don't know how they did it. I saw that later on that they were taping, marking spots for drop-offs or whatever. I actually saw some tape on a thing, and he just, he didn't say anything. But I wonder if I was with him when he dropped one off. I hope not. The tape markings were like the flag on your mailbox. Hansen signaled to and from the Soviets that a package or cash reward was ready for pickup. And that's kind of frightening, really. I could have been part of something that I didn't even know I was a part of. That December, Priscilla drove her champagne baby Ben's home to Columbus, Ohio for the holidays. It was supposed to be a short family visit. Why did I go back to Ohio? I went back so I could see my mother's jaw drop down when I pulled up in a Mercedes with the little Christmas wreath on the front, and it did exactly what I expected. That Christmas, something else happened in Robert Hansen's world. The Soviet Union collapsed. On December 25, 1991, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev resigned. Tonight, the red flag was taken down from the Kremlin, where it has flown since the 1917 revolution. The Soviet Union it symbolized is now dead. The KGB dissolved. What was once easy money for Hansen was no longer so simple. Meanwhile, Priscilla stayed in Columbus for longer than she'd planned. She wasn't dancing at clubs any longer or making money. She pawned the sapphire and diamond necklace. 
That credit card Hanson gave her for car expenses? She used it for cigarettes and Easter dresses for her nieces. And that's when Hanson made a surprise visit to Columbus. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's here to visit me. No, he was here to get the card and see you later. And what was that encounter like? Very uh, abrupt, very quick. And I really didn't understand why he was so upset. Because it really wasn't that much money at all. And then everything went sideways for Priscilla. A city truck slammed into her Mercedes. Priscilla was uninjured, but her baby Benz was totaled. She didn't have insurance. It it had stopped everything. When the car stopped, I stopped. And I was stuck. I was in a deep depression. I started doing drugs. It was horrible. I didn't care. I did not care anymore. My whole life was gone. Yeah, it was bad. Hansen was out of her life, and that created a deep void. She was stuck in Columbus, Ohio. She took up prostitution to pay for her drug addiction. Her life was in freefall. It went from bad to worse really fast. And I was so depressed at that point, I didn't care. I just did not care. My, it just, I did not care. Depression hit like the big ship coming in. Priscilla was eventually arrested on a drug charge. Her mother, knowing all about Hanson, called him, looking for help. He's like, she made her bed, she got to lay in it. He was not going to help. He was done with me. After being released from jail, she became pregnant, and the birth of her son gave her a sense of purpose. Priscilla is now 65 and still in Columbus. Looking back on it all now, 30 years after their emotional affair, Priscilla faults herself for being so naive. I think he needed a place to put the money. I think he was bored. And I think he was looking for that person to throw away. (laughs) He didn't care nothing about me at all. I was disposable. I'm so sorry about that. I really am. No, really, me too. Really, because I really liked him. He was so good to me. Do I hate him? No, I don't hate anyone. And I'm always going to be grateful, always. And he always was good to me. But his motive, I would love to know what his true motive, so I can get that out of me. You know, so I can actually, you know, feel some kind of which way or the other. There's part of Priscilla that's glad their relationship ended because she avoided falling into what now feels like Hanson's trap. I would have been bait. That's what I was. It was all for his doing. It was all for his benefit, I think. Not the religious part, but all the locations. Like, he would have sent me and I would have, I would have went gladly. Not knowing, not, not, always trusting him. I would have done anything he asked me to do. Maybe geared toward either recruiting you or using you in some way. Maybe. I'm not, there is no maybe to it. It's definite. That's Everything, yes, it was definite. There's no maybe in my mind anymore. I figured it all out. Everything, every conversation, every little tidbit. All I know is he took my trust and I would have been the perfect guinea, you know, here, take her. I'm going to send her out. She's going to do whatever I tell her. And I would have ended up dead or in prison. For as much attention as Hanson lavished on her and as much as he revealed to her about espionage, Hanson kept something from Priscilla about another hidden compartment of his life.
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hanson's courtship with Priscilla was surprisingly chaste. If anything, it was an emotional affair or a friends-with-financial-benefits arrangement. More surprising than that, shocking even, was what transpired in his bedroom at home with Bonnie his wife. And the source of this information might surprise you. We introduced you to Jack in an earlier episode. My name's Jack Hoshauer. I am Robert Hansen's best friend. When they were younger, they both worked at the state psychiatric hospital where Hansen met his future wife, Bonnie. Jack and Hansen remained best friends. Jack was an army officer who served in Vietnam and spent much of his military career stationed in Europe. He made regular trips to the D.C. area and almost always stayed with the Hansons. He'd share things with me that he probably shouldn't have. Jack says it began in 1970, a couple of years after Bonnie and Hanson got married. Jack was serving in Vietnam. I mean, there I was in Vietnam, and I get this mail, and I said, holy cats, what's this? You know. It was an envelope from Hanson with a series of pictures, all of Hanson's wife, Bonnie. There's a picture of Bonnie, and she's standing there in her dress or whatever. The next one, she's got a little bit less on, a little bit less on. You know. He thought the photos had been sent by mistake, but soon after, a letter from Hanson arrived. I said, I hope you like the little morale booster. And that was the impetus. I mean, I had never, ever imagined anything like that before that. That was the beginning. The beginning of what would become decades of voyeurism of his best friend's wife, orchestrated by Bob Hansen. And by the way, we know these details from Jack himself after hours of interviews. We have no reason to doubt them, but there's no way to know if we're getting the full story. We have also reached out to Bonnie and the Hansen family for comment while reporting this story. They have declined or ignored our requests. Jack told us of an episode many years after Vietnam when the Hansons were living in Virginia. I was uh, staying with them, and uh, Bonnie was in the shower. And he says, come on, let's look in the shower. And I said, no. He said, come on. I said, no. He grabbed my arm and pulled me. And I, I physically resisted then, too, maybe because I was afraid she'd see me again. Jack says Bob pressured him to participate. You know, I, I, I still have 
feelings of responsibility and guilt for what I did. Definitely. I imagine shame is not too strong a word. Not at all too strong a word. You could even sort of multiply that a little bit. But it went to another level. Hansen regularly and obsessively invited his best friend to watch him have sex with his wife, Bonnie. He'd say, want to watch tonight? I never looked without an express invitation. At first, Hansen had Jack position himself on the back deck of their home so he could watch through a bedroom window. Bonnie never knew. So obviously there's some willingness there. You're oh, you're course. going outside. I mean, you're standing yeah, on a deck. Why 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 does a guy like to look at a beautiful woman? That's it's obviously something he wanted, and uh, I was not opposed. When Jack complained that it got cold outside, Bob wired up a closed circuit camera and he connected it to a TV in the house. Were you conflicted about it at the time? Yeah. Yeah, another, but not no, enough. Not enough. And sometimes I'd say yes, and sometimes I'd say no. I said yes many too many times. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Jack once asked Bob about all this, about exploiting Bonnie for his and Jack's amusement. The voyeurism with Bonnie. Why do you do this? He says, I'm weak. That's it. I'm weak. That was his whole answer. Do you think there was some part of it he was sharing her with you? Like in a psychological way? Yeah, definitely. Now, I don't know why. I mean, he often referred to me as a hero because I had been in Vietnam. And I think it's one of those things, well, the hero deserves to get the pretty girl. And I think possibly in that sense he felt inadequate. Jack cannot recall how many times he watched Bob and Bonnie have sex. It took place over years. I knew what I was doing, and I did it. You never watched without an invitation? Correct. You never asked Bob, is there going to be a show tonight? No, never did. Never crossed your mind? Well, I wouldn't say it never crossed my mind, but I never bought a ticket to the show, so to speak. And sometimes I took a rain check. Sometimes you'd say no. Yeah. Not often enough, but I did. That wasn't everything. Hansen also wrote and posted pornographic stories about Bonnie on the Internet and did so under his own name, again, without her knowledge. The Internet of the 1990s wasn't what it is today, but still, think of that a senior FBI agent posting pornography about his wife under his own name. Years later, after all this became public, Jack reached out to Bonnie. I said, I have sinned against you, and I am very sorry. Can you forgive me? I was talking to her on the phone, and she said, I forgive you, Jack, just like that, just like that. Was that the purpose of the call? Partly, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to see how, you know, see how Bob was doing and so on. And we, we talked and uh, I uh, basically confessed and said I was penitent and sorry about it. And she just said, I forgive you, just like that. That kind of knocks me out. Yeah. She is an amazing woman. Like I said, she's beautiful in the heart. 
And have you ever talked about it since? No. Yeah, well, yes and no. I offered once upon a time, if she wanted to know, I would tell her everything Bob and I did. And she said, no, thanks. So that was that. What did that feel like? It lifted a feeling of intense guilt off of me. Uh, I still have guilt over it, but I mean, that I was really down on that. I must tell you that when I got permission, also from Robert Hansen, to talk about his case in every respect, the one prohibition that he put on me was not to talk about that side of his story. This is Dr. David Charney. He's a psychiatrist who evaluated Hansen for about a year after his arrest. He worked for Hansen's defense lawyers. Yes, I'm aware of it. Did I hear a little bit about it? Yes, actually I did. Much of what we know about Hansen's inner workings are details gleaned from the roughly 100 hours of interviews that Dr. Charney performed, two hours every week for a year. When I came in, Hansen started talking. I didn't have to say anything. I was there as his audience for two hours. Dr. Charney recalls that Hansen took control of these sessions. He wanted to tell his story his own way. You could tell that he was always protecting his reputation. I was being taught to understand Robert Hansen the way he wanted me to understand him. Dr. Charney is the person who told us about the many sides of Hansen. It's in a single word, compartmentalization. I've never met anybody ever as compartmented as Robert Hansen. It goes on and on, these opposites that coexist in a way that you just scratch your head and say, how does he do that? I cannot answer that. It's a, it's a thing that we do normally, but he carried it to the nth degree. He also met with best friend Jack, but won't comment on that encounter as that's part of his ethical agreement not to discuss Hanson's sex life. Do you believe he is ashamed of that part of his life? Yes. Um, people ask me if he feels guilty and remorseful. About that particular about, part? Well, that's a good question, and I'm not sure I can answer that for the reason that he kept within a certain boundary talking about it at all. And so I knew not to ask a question like that, and I didn't hear that volunteer. Although he couldn't comment on the specifics, Charney explains Hansen's affinity for voyeurism and insatiable ego in three words. The shy exhibitionist. The shy exhibitionist. The fancy word is oxymoron. Something that is com contained in the same place but is radically opposite, yet coexists. And that was Robert Hansen. Next time on Agent of Betrayal, the calculated and compartmentalized Robert Hansen turns reckless. 
whatever he envisioned himself to be, the super spy, there were some missteps that he took that I can't explain. Cracks in the facade. His colleagues at the FBI couldn't help but notice. Folks referred to him as Dr. Death. There was just something about him that as soon as I met him, I felt uneasy. His behavior would endanger those around him. He grabbed me from behind and twisted me around, and he started dragging me back towards his office, yelling the entire time, I told you to get back in here. That's next time on Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. This series was reported by me, Major Garrett, Arden Fari, and Sarah Cook. Our team of reporters and producers also includes Jamie Benson, Pat Milton, Jake Rosen, and Nellie Watson. Our producing partner is Neon Hum Media. Our senior producer is Odelia Rubin. Zoe Culkin is our associate producer. Original music and sound design by Hans Dale Shee. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Executive producers for Agent of Betrayal are Arden Fari, Shara Morris, and me, Major Garrett. Special thanks to Mark Lima, Megan Marcus, Ingrid Cyprian Matthews, and Steve Racies of CBS News, and Jonathan Hirsch of Neon Hum Media. We welcome you to contact us at agentofbetrayal at cbsnews.com. That's agentofbetrayal at cbsnews.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Divya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Join me, 48 Hours correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the secrets within families, cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved. Enjoy My Life of Crime on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on Wondery Plus.